All right. Hello. What's going on? Rich Ryan here. Reinforced Running Podcast back in action. Today, we have Gunther Klaus on the show. Gunther is an expert in biomechanics, and we go into the weeds on this one. We talk a lot about different nuance of personal breathing mechanics and how that can relate to your performance in many different aspects. So it's it's pretty complicated. We get into the weeds. We go on tangents. It's old school training content. It's going to really get those wheels turning. It got my wheels turning like crazy. I really enjoyed it. Gunther's also a very high-level athlete himself in the hybrid space. So this guy knows what he's talking about. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I think you're going to dig it as well. Let's get into it. My guy, Gunther Klaus. All right, Gunther Klaus in the house. What's going on, man? How are you? <laughs> I like that. I'm great, man. How are you? Wasn't that part of your branding too? Absolutely. Klaus House. That's Klaus it. House. It works. Yeah. It's um, ridiculous. The client actually kind of forced that upon me. But it's, uh, it's a very Scandinavian name, yeah, there. German. German is is that what it is? Yeah. German all the way through. Is that why High Rocks is just like an appropriate <laughs> Sure. Let's call it that. <laughs> so yeah, we met at uh in High Rocks LA. Uh you had that was your PR that day? Yeah, that was my PR. 10648. And where did you start? Where was your, uh, like, what was your first go at it? It's a funny story. La- last uh, spring was my first one in Dallas, and I got a 110. However, qualified for a world championship. I'm getting on the plane for the world championships to go to Vegas. And this guy's looking at me, looking at me. I'm like, all right, he's obviously going too. He looks like a fit dude. We, we talked for three seconds, and he's like, yeah, I remember you. You cheated in Dallas. I'm what? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so... I find out that I, I indeed did, I, well, unknowingly. Um, so I had read the rules and I guess it was like some, it was probably a German rule sheet and it said two by sled pull. And I had that in my head. The, the whole event confused me. I had never been to it. I had never looked into it. It was fresh. You know, I wasn't training for it or anything. And uh, so that's what I did. I did two back and forth, just, you know, back and forth. That's it. And I got out of there for the sled pull. And he noticed because we were neck and neck. Huh. And he's like, yeah, that's when you pulled away from me and beat me by a minute. <laughs> so my world is shattering on the plane because I'm like, I'm going to the world championships. I'm like, I'm not even this good. <laughs> I am not prepared. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but luckily I got better at the world championships. So that's I'll funny that they didn't, they didn't catch that. I thought there was like a sense or, oh, maybe there's not for the pull. I think the centers are just like where you are area wise. I don't think they're actually, you know what I mean? There must be something at the threshold of the in- and entrance and exits well there's definitely that but i i was told by someone at high rocks that there is a uh sensor like halfway down on the sled push at least that will mm. also grab your chip so you know if you did um more than two yeah two lengths down and back um how'd worlds go then great i, I got you know it was that was 110 and then at worlds i did 109 but oh. actually did the whole thing so <laughs> nice. it was only a few weeks later um, yeah. And the, the coolest thing about this is, you know, not to toot my own horn, but like I have had an Achilles injury for the last two years. And so I have not been running at all. Hmm. I used to, I, I ran in high school. I ran a little bit in college. Um, and so I, I was like, man, I haven't been able to run. This is great. I did everything I could to just survive that race. Uh, I was having some nasty calf issues towards the end. And it's kind of been that way ever since until really the last like three months, and I've been able to to play with it a bit more. I can't do more than like four and a half, five miles at a time still, just volume wise. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, 
Yeah, that's that's how my first year, <clears throat> which I mean, there's only been a couple of years, which was 2021, I guess. Um, I had an injury where I couldn't really run that much as well. And I ran like 67 and then 68. And then after just like six months of being healthy, I was able to take off like seven minutes or something like that. That's awesome. That's yeah. really, uh, it's really empowering and helpful for me too. Thank you. Cause that's yeah, what I'm trying to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, what, and you ran in college, right? I did. Yeah, nice. I did. I ran at a, a division one school in um, Philadelphia called St. Joe's. Okay, sweet. So yeah, I've been a, been a runner for, for quite a bit of time. So that's kind of the bread and butter of it all. And your background is you, you said you had some running experience and then you were in um, a rower as well. I did. Yeah. I, I rode division one at Oregon state. And then oh, nice. After that got into, basically got into CrossFit pretty much right away. How, okay. I got a, a rowing question. Please. We're here to talk about some biomechanic stuff, but we, I want to talk, talk some rowing stuff. There's been some, some thought about how some like these hybrid athletes are, are doing the row mm-hmm. and <clears throat> that maybe like the traditional like rowing stroke where it's like a big, powerful drive to the legs type yeah. of stroke might n- not be as, as much of as an advantage as it should be like on the rower. Yes. Like that will help your actual time and your power output for that one specific station, but the cost might be too much for the, the runs and the later station. So uh, I've seen some people kind of shortening that part of their stroke and, and, and increasing their um, stroke per minute on that thing. So that sure. getting up, over 30 strokes per minute during that station. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think in the simplest form, it depends on what kind of limitation you have. So are you a delivery limited athlete or respiratory limited athlete? And in layman's terms is, do you want a higher heart rate because you can handle it? Or do you want a stronger burn because you can handle it? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So for someone like myself, I'm limited by my heart rate now. And that's simply because of the way I've trained for so long. So I would much rather utilize that segment. Like my stroke rate is very low in the row uh, in IROX. What are you like 24? Probably. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just trying to hold like a 150 and recover. Mm-hmm. And, if, and you look at the data and like, it's objectively where I actually recover because I'm just like trying to breathe slow in the return and then a strong pull. Um, because for me, jacking the heart rate up would be detrimental for the rest of it. Whereas it's the opposite for sure. For most of these athletes who are better when it comes to the cardiovascular side of things and maybe not as strong. Yeah. Just like keep tapping the wheel along and fly back and forth. That that was kind of my thought too. I've gone back and forth <clears throat> on it where I, last year I was very much trying to keep it lower just and, and taking kind of like the rowers uh, methodology behind it. And it's like, try to like, I was very close. I was like 25 and doing 150, And I was like, this I can do. Yeah. But it, it does hurt my legs. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, so like, so oh, if I don't have to pull as, as push as strong and, and create as much power, each stroke, it feels better for me. And like, I can handle like my, <clears throat> my strength is the, the cardio part of it. So my heart rate, it sure. doesn't necessarily, it's not going to get high, especially on a yeah. rower where I'm sitting. It's almost, it's, <laughs> I really don't get the heart rate. So I'm like, 30 to 32 seems like a yeah. better spot for me. For sure. I, I would agree. And I think ultimately that's probably the most effective and efficient thing to, I mean, and you're also, you're strong, right? Like I, 
I saw something of you doing 275 for like 20 rep max back squat. Oh yeah, I did that once. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> but the the nature of of the erg is like we're taking the knee all the way deep flexion and mm -hmm. extension. So like if if you're thinking about it in terms of oh this is hard on the legs, of course because you're taking you're taking it through its full range and like really getting every last juice you know squeeze out of the out of the VMO out of the quad um, versus you know just kind of flying back and forth and never really having to drive so much force on it. Anyway, just elaborating on like, yeah, for sure. That's def your strategy is a better strategy. You just, I would encourage you to play to your strengths mm -hmm. in the interim, right? Until that is the better move. <clears throat> How much time are you spending on the row in training now? I mean, probably is it more now because of the Achilles or no, actually I don't spend any time on the row anymore. Huh. Um, I'm focusing entirely on, expansion drills, like creating, basically restoring just natural balance in my body and then running. Um, I'm a little nervous about it because I'm like really not prioritizing total body strength and the lifts that I used to, but objectively, you know, you look at my splits and it's very clear running is my weak point. Hmm. So I'm really just trying to lean into that and, and create specificity around running. Got it. Cool. What was your, like, what was your, your 2k? Like, what would you say? Like, uh, like the fastest 2k you've done or like if you were to do a 2k now, like where do you think you'd be? Well, those are two completely different. <laughs> <numbers>. <laughs> the fastest 2k ever. Uh, I forget what the time, I think it was 619. Which is, which is like, uh, 134. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's cranking. Yeah. Yeah. At what, at what body weight? You're not, you're not, uh, uh, you're probably not a lightweight category, right? But you're not like a massive dude. No, I've, uh, in college, I was probably 185. Oh, okay. I'm pretty much there now. I'm 190 okay. at the moment. Yeah. What are you, what are you at? I'm a little lighter now, like 174, 175. Oh, wow. Uh, I can't imagine what that would do. I should probably look into, <laughs> I should probably not look into, but I should probably, you know, lean out of it. It's, well, it's hard to say for this sport, right? I think, I think like 180 is probably a really good spot for, for most athletes to be. Yeah, for sure. I don't think I could get below 180 if I tried. Right. Um, right. But anyway, uh, now I don't know what my all out 2k would be. It, it would be nasty. I, I can tell you that that recent, uh, challenge, the high rocks challenge. Oh, did you do that? Yeah, I did that. And it destroyed me. And I just realized like that, that kind of high intensity glycolytic, sort of like DECA stuff. I hate, I hate that. It's so intense. And I, it's not that I hate it. Blanket statement, period. It's just currently the way I train. I hate mm, that. I don't want to yeah. go that hard <laughs> for that kind of duration. It's, that's easy to hate when you're not ready, ready to hit it, you know? Yeah. The, uh, and that's, that actually went fairly well for me because of, I did have DECA specific stuff ready after high rocks didn't go that well for me. And then they had this challenge. I was like, oh, okay, great. What, what did you row on that? I was in the 135s. I think I went too hot. Okay. I was pretty conservative. I was like 145, I think. I think that's where I needed to change my strategy, but I was not going to do it again. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I was, I was like, I better not get any no reps here because this is, I'm one and done on this for sure. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Was it nasty for you? The, I mean, if you're going to, you're going to end anything with a 1K row, like it's gonna suck, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's like finishing the workout 800 meters all out run. It's like, yeah, like if you do that properly, it's gonna be terrible. Totally. Um, but I recovered pretty well on the lunges. The burpees were hard. The air squats were fine. Um, but yeah, it was just the row at the end was tough. Yeah, 
It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I want to talk a, a little bit about what you had mentioned, right? Like kind of creating this balance and, and you have this approach to things that I'm, I'm very interested in. I've, I've, I've caught a, like secondarily people kind of mentioning it and I'm, I'm not too well versed in it, but I did a little bit of research on it and what I could tell, but so I'm, I'm really excited to, to like kind of dive into this and seeing how some of these methods that you do and how it, it wouldn't improve upon performance. So why don't you just kind of tell us a little bit about like um, just like the overarching theme of it. Yeah, absolutely. So I love sharing this information because I, it's new information for me and it, you know, it broke all the paradigms and blew my mind quickly. Um, essentially leaving me feeling like, wow, I thought I knew a lot as a trainer and now I feel like I knew nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think what you're referring to is like, the, the root of PRI, Postural yes. Restoration Institute. So I, I am not, I have not gone through PRI specifically, but uh, I learned from this amazing trainer named Connor Harris, who has essentially taken all of these principles from PRI and beautifully kind of trickled it down, disseminated into like, how do we utilize this for strength and conditioning for personal trainers? Um, which opened the door, of course, to me now being in this world. Um, and it's very, very complex. It can be very complex. So I think the best way to really make it simplified for, for you and for the, for the listeners is everything relates back to respiration, inhalation and exhalation, right? And so from, from birth, from a very young age, I don't know when this exactly develops, but as a, as a baby, you develop your inhalation and exhalation strategy, if you will, based upon genetics. And I, I would assume some, some uh, external factors as a child you kind of move towards inhalation or exhalation and whichever one you go towards. And of course, keep in mind, this is a spectrum, right? It's not like black and white. It's kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a little more than total gray area. It's pretty obvious with some people, but you move towards an inhalation or an exhalation kind of bias. And those two things respectively are associated with joint actions. So inhalation is associated with flexion, uh, flexion, adduction, abduction, excuse me, external rotation. Mm. Okay. This is sort of unimportant. We're getting kind of nitty gritty. Now, Keep it going. Yep. And then the opposite is true, right? So exhalation would be uh, extension, adduction, internal rotation. Okay. okay. So basically you're just like the two separate things. With that, you can understand how someone is going to be really good at those joint actions versus the other. Um, and I'll, I'll back up. Sorry, this is, again, this is very complex for even me to disseminate down into simplified understanding. But we look at, I think Bill Hartman coined this, which is uh, the infrasternal angle, I'll show you, which is this guy, right, of your rib cage, is either considered narrow or wide, okay? Mm -hmm. And this is literally the best way to view that thing about the spectrum I was talking about, which is like some people are in this gray area, kind of like, eh, is it narrow or wide? Some people are freaking obvious, right? And super this, narrow, super wide. Essentially what you're doing, you're, you're the, the angle where like your rib cage meets yeah. at like the bottom of like your sternum. Exactly. How yep. wide or narrow that is. Okay. Exactly. The angle of it. And what we, why we want to understand this is you're either a wide or a narrow or somewhere in between, right? And wides are associated with internal rotation, adduction, extension, which would be exhalation, right? 
narrows the opposite. And this is where things get a little funky, but when you look at a narrow, narrows have the lower ribs kind of compressed. If you think about my fingers as the lower ribs, they're kind of in and compressed down, right? This is a narrow rib cage. Whereas a wide would be the opposite. It would be open up and out, right? So you'd have this big open wide rib cage versus a closed down narrow rib cage. I'm obviously being dramatic here for demonstration and understanding purposes. Hmm. Like in, intuitively, I would think that <clears throat> in inhalation would have a, a wider rib cage angle. Totally. And so this is, you're absolutely right. However, the body kind of typically lives in places that it can't go. Right. So it's the opposite. If you're a narrow and you're good at the inhalation mechanics, your body has to develop a strategy to help you exhale. Oh, I see. Right. And so it's, it's just an inverse relationship, which I find to be the case for a lot of things when it comes to your human body, right? Hmm. Inverse relationship. Exercise isn't necessarily... Compensation, essentially. Yeah, but inverse relationship in general, right? Like exercise is not a good thing for us. It actually breaks our body down Mm -hmm. and our body adapts and responds by giving us more fitness, Mm -hmm. right? So same thing, like we're good at inhalation. Our body will find a way to kind of balance us out and help us, yes, in this case, compensate totally. Okay, so like... It, and is it just a visual then, or, or is it got to be have to like a hands? Is there like a, 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 a like an angle? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That totally. you like, <laughs> kind of tell. I'm like feeling myself, and I'm like, I don't know. It feels maybe wide. I don't know. Sure, sure. <laughs> so it, there's a lot of factors in it, and it's not perfect when it comes to like identification, right? Of narrow versus wide. There are some people who are really obvious. There's some people that are that are totally not obvious at all. Um, the angle, I think, is agreed upon at like 110 degrees, but it's it's really like that's loose, right? Um, when you can't identify visually, yes, there's a hands-on test. And, um, you know, I won't do it justice by just explaining it and showing you, but essentially you kind of get your thumbs to go on the ribs, right? You have, you have whoever's doing this, you're doing it to them. They're lying down. And they'll kind of, if I'm on the floor, right, they'll raise their hands until you see their entire rib cage move. And that's kind of their like stopping point. From there, you'll have them inhale and exhale. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can sort of tell, and again, I've done this to many people and it's not always easy to tell. In fact, oftentimes it's difficult, but if they're wide, they'll inhale, their ribs will open up and they'll exhale and their ribs will kind of stay where they were. Versus if they're nail, uh, narrow, excuse me, you'll feel this like big pulling down of the ribs. Hmm. Okay. So <clears throat> once you have, so remind me again, if you're, I, I, I'm, I, I forgot which one was which, like the exhalation is more prone to the adduction and extension. Yes. Okay. That's a wide, right? That's wide. And then narrow is um, abduction and flexion. Okay. So how do these, how do these, what do these two things have to do with each other? Yeah, totally. Okay. So, and you're grasping this very quickly. I love it. Great. (laughs) It's super complex. I mean, it took me forever to get this and I think I might even be approaching it from a weird place, but that's okay. We're doing what we're doing. Doing great. We're doing great. Um, 
the real things when I teach this to, so I, I run some seminars now and I teach this to just like everyday people. I don't go into this depth, right? They're like, what the fuck? I don't even know what internal rotation is. <laughs> so when I teach them, I'm kind of showing them like, look, wides are associated with power, speed, force production, because that's what internal rotation is in general. Right? Everything moves from an arc of external to internal to external again. And that's movement, right? That's force production. So if they're good at internal, they're good at producing force. Narrows are the opposite. They're good at absorbing external rotation, open up, um, and endurance. So a lot of runners are narrows, hmm. especially like marathoners, right? And we have to remember the body's that adaptation machine. So like not everyone's, not everyone who's great at endurance is a narrow or, um, not everyone that's great at power is a wide. And this could be <clears throat> almost something that like, uh, when people talk about like genetics, right? Like the genetically Absolutely. meant for it, like this is essentially that kind of, but there still was a point where there was some sort of decision or some like reason that a baby went one direction or another. They weren't necessarily born this way or. That's a good question. I don't know. The we don't know that. that. Whatever. Yeah, anyway. But there, there has to be some influence, right? There has to be. But, but chances are Elliot Kipchoge probably has a narrow rib cage. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and at the end of the day, it's not something to completely stress over. Uh, the, the most, one of the best things I, I really appreciate about the way that Connor taught me is you are, you're able to actually look at joint rotation and then identify what the needs are. So hmm. let's, let's say you have someone and you're like, I have no idea. Are you a wide? Are you a narrow? It's not the end of the world because we can identify like, okay, let's look at actual objective internal rotation, external rotation of this joint. Let's look at flexion extension. Let's look at the hip rotation. We can paint this, this picture, a very clear picture by gathering kind of objective metrics. Right. And that's what we really want to do because that's, that's where we want to go. It's like, let's work on the thing. Let's, let's grab the lowest hanging fruit, if you will. I see. So it's like, even if it's kind of in that gray, that if you're seeing more internal rotation, y you'll probably know that they're, they're more prone for the, the exhalation piece. Right. For sure. So for it's sure. like, it's like the full um, assessment more or less. Right. right. Okay. And it, it definitely does get confusing because there's compensation layers, right? Mm. So pe people get like worse and worse. And unfortunately this is the hardest thing with assessing like athletes, especially because athletes are constantly putting themselves under, you know, greater loads of stress which is going to force them into more compensation. Just that's the nature of the game. Okay. And wides and narrows will go like layer number one, layer number two, layer number three. And they like mm. look the same. Got it. And it's like, ah, I don't know. You're presenting in all these weird angles. And, and. so <clears throat> once you have this kind of information, yeah. right? Like, is it then you're able to train toward what they're going to uh, be more naturally inclined to excel at, or are you doing the opposite? Like, like training them to build toward their weaknesses or is it kind of like a both, or is that even a, a route to this? Or is it just like, here's the, some movements that can help kind of create more symmetry across, across the board. Yeah. Like training anyone else for anything else. You, you want to look at what their goals are. Right. So we can definitely use this information to help us bias training, especially for the context of like athletes, right? This, this can help us understand 
all right, we should put more emphasis on strength and power development because you're narrow, because you're not good at that. Um, that's kind of where you were going with your question is like, yes, does that work? And, and that's for sure a truth. Yes. The place that I use it most commonly is let's not necessarily, it's not necessarily a, a, a bigger picture of like the type of training program that is definitely involved, but it's more so the type of exercise to get you away from your compensations because your compensations are driving you further in a direction. You're going to run out of room. So if I train you the other direction, you're going to have more room. Mm. Okay. So it's, it's not necessarily like, uh, like you shouldn't keep driving toward the the strengths of things, like being able to expand, what the person is capable of. Is it an injury thing or is like, is that part of it as well? If it's always internal, 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 are, are you worried about that? Or is it just simply a performance thing where like, say you're going to run out of space? Um, or is it a little bit of both? It's both. It's for sure both. And oftentimes people don't care until they've, they've incurred an injury, right? Until they've endured some sort of problem. And then they're like, Oh, I should probably work on my mobility. And everyone goes, I should do yoga. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's not it, right? That's not it at all. I mean, sure, go ahead, do yoga. I'm not, I'm not hitting on yoga, but that's uh, that's the real reason. So it's it's both. It's let's get you out of pain by restoring more movement option. Let's get you to become a better athlete by giving you more opportunity, right? More quality movement. Okay, so then <clears throat> things become easier when we restore that joint, it's really joint centration, right? When the joint moves the way it's supposed to, everything becomes easier. And I don't want to steamroll, but I kind of want to keep going with this for a sec. So for you, right? Like not for you, but for anyone, let's say we lay you down. We're looking at your, your tests. One of the common tests is like a femoral internal and external rotation. So you uh-huh. on your back, you bring your knee up above your hip, and then you spin your lower leg to see how that femur is kind of translating inside the acetabulum. When you do this, you'll find like, okay, I get to this range and like any more desire to move, I'm going to feel cramping. The muscles are turning on. I'm cheating. I'm moving other parts of my body, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, there's a lot of effort to get that to go. And it won't actually move, uh, irrespective of the rest. It'll do something. It'll move the whole system, right? It'll orient the hip bones and your side body will crunch and you'll do all this extra work. When you go through that and then we, expand upon that and bring you to joint centration and you retest it, you'll see, Oh, I either gained, you know, X amount of degrees. Some people it's five degrees immediately. Some people it's 20 degrees. It's like night day, but everyone gets at least a path of lesser resistance. Right. And the reason I'm telling you this is if you think about this translating to reps of anything, it doesn't matter what kind of athlete you are there's less resistance in your reps that you're doing, right? So that is obviously going to be translating to better performance, better outcomes. Hmm. So that test, remind me again, how, how you gain that extra. I didn't tell you how. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, did I miss that. I was like, I, I would like to know how to do this. Yeah. So, well, that's where, that's where this, that's where we start going down the rabbit hole and things get complex because there is, um, there are a multitude of exercises that will help you expand upon a specific joint action. But like I said, we want to create this kind of bigger picture understanding of like 
What's the lowest hanging fruit? What's one thing we can unlock to then make everything better? Because that's typically how it goes. Okay. Um, and I don't want to leave this open and confusing, right? This is kind of creating an open loop for everybody. Like, what? It's all good. Let's keep it going. <clears throat> so when we understand like narrows versus wides, if we're looking at that and we have that understanding, then we can under, then we then we already know like okay, narrows are going to be kind of biased towards this rotation of the rib cage, kind of flexion of the spine. Mm-hmm. Everything's compressed, and there's going to be compression at the low back. Right, this is going to dump the pelvis forward, do anterior tilt. It's going to round this. If we can loosen up the low back, so to speak, we can pretty likely open up all the joint actions, right? Hip extension, hip flexion, shoulder rotation. It's all going to move better because we're taking away this, this kind of locked point. Mm -hmm. Right. I usually describe it like you're wearing a t-shirt compression is where, wherever it's being pulled. If I pull over here, it affects this side. There's Mm -hmm. more, it's top over here, which means it doesn't, I don't have as much to move. So if I unlock this, release this, now I've got more to move over here. I've heard that as uh, when you squeeze a balloon, the opposite side bursts. Yes, that's exactly. Yes, yes. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that would be like a narrow thing, right? For a wide, it would be they're compressed front to back. And we want to open up. We want to open up their front and back. So we can choose some exercises to restore that. And it'll kind of globally make things better for them. Um. The balloon thing is awesome. Air is going to go where it can, right? Mm-hmm. And so as an example, I'll have a lot of wides do sidelining and rolling things because their air goes laterally. It expands left to right instead of front to back. If I put them on there, if we put them on their side and kind of crush into that side, compress that side, their air has to go front to back, hmm. right? We've kind of biased gravity, their guts, and then compression to force air to open up from the inside out, a different area. So it's like, okay, then, so that's training the actual breathing piece too. Is that, is that a lot of this as well? Always, always. <laughs> yes. And so you also want to match respiration and ex- or, uh, the respiratory cycle with your movements, right? So there's a big emphasis on when you inhale, when you exhale. And this is like nitty gritty nuanced stuff, right? Which unfortunate for <laughs> this conversation because it's like I'm opening this door to, we're yeah, there's going, a lot more in there, but. We're going in. Yeah. Um, and then like, so is that part of the exercises themselves is is uh, like having much more focus on the breath? Or is there a lot of like, like, like diaphragmatic stuff as well. Like, is that a focus of this or is it more shifting and changing positions and, and doing those things? Like you mentioned, like unlocking, uh, like something. And now it's something that, uh, that I found interesting. I've, I've played around with some like joint mobility in the past. And, um, I found that that was one thing that is, that I've done with this practice that I, that I took on where you do a certain movement and then there'd be like a test and a retest, right? Even just like bending down and touching your toes, yeah. right? Doing a test and seeing if you, if that helps and seeing if that improves your, your range of motion immediately. And if it does great, that serves you. And if it doesn't, okay, that movement is probably not something that you need. Yes. And that's, that's more just kind of like, and I, I, and you could do it with all sorts of movements, but this seems like you're more really pinpointing it down and being like, 
here is where you specifically need, this is the movements that are going to be helpful because of this uh, pattern of breathing that you've taken on since birth. Yeah, sure. Um, it's, it's a bit of both where there are, so, okay. There's like breathing drills, very simple expansion breathing drills. If you're locked up in a spot, we want to pick a necessary, we want to pick the appropriate drill to get you to expand that area. Right. But just like you said, with your example of toe touch, do something, come back, toe touch again. That's your check. Did this work yes. or not? Right. And it, it's, it's pretty, I don't know. I, I wanted to give a percentage to it. It's highly likely that it's going to work for you. However, if I give you an expansion drill and I'm like, all right, Rich, that, this is going to help you with your thoracic mobility. Right. And then you try it on and we objectively see no change. Let's move on to another drill unless I know, okay, maybe we can tweak this a little bit. Cause there is of course nuance in like how you execute the drill itself. Right. Right. But there are, there are many ways to you know, multiple ways to skin a cat. We can, we can change it. We can go to something else. If it's not working for you, forego it. Let's find something that is objectively making an effective uh, change. And probably a lot what you said with the layers of compensation, right? Like you're still figuring it out as yeah, absolutely as you're going through. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so where are we at then with the, with the process? Like, so we're now talking about um, different exercises and and how that that can like how does this then relate to like performance then? Yeah. So, uh, like I said, with the external rotation example, the femoral test, right, mm-hmm. the rotation of it, if you have more space, you're going to be able to perform something with greater ease, with less restriction, right? So how it translates to performance is, I mean, it really actually depends. It's a great question because now that I'm thinking about it, there is nuance to this, right? Uh, forgive me while I go on like a bit of a side tangent, but with that, with that question, we can take the example of like a power lifter, power lifter is going to have tons of compression, but it serves them, right? Like they need that compression. They need to be sort of locked up. If you will, they need stiff tendons because they're trying to move thousands of pounds. Mm-hmm. This is beneficial up until a point, And then it becomes detrimental because they run out of room and they start getting injuries and they start losing movement options, right? So they're, they're lessening the arc, if you will, of external, internal, external rotation, which is force production. Mm-hmm. And then we're just moving them towards kind of compensating, bringing in other parts of the joint and then overworking systems, simultaneously underworking systems. I wouldn't want to spend all day long trying to expand, 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 open up space for a power lifter because that's going to have a, there's going to be a point where now we're taking them the other direction. It's not the goal, right? It's not the goal. It's not the goal. However, if you have somebody who's limited in shoulder extension, for example, and they want to run opening up and lessening the restriction of their ability to extend their arm right behind them is actually going to help with the rotation of the trunk. It's going to help with the gait cycle. It's going to improve their running simply by giving them less difficulty in the gait cycle, right? Like we're not actually getting their cardiovascular system any right. better. We're just reducing friction 
so that this is easier and costs less energy. This is, so this makes a ton of sense to me, right? Because I've been, well, someone like, like you or I have been training at a high level for a long time, right? It's like at a certain point, you got to find those points where you can make really incremental gains. Yeah. So what point would you recommend? And I, and I'm sure the earlier some, someone can get on this, the better, because they won't necessarily run into these, these traps or hit these, these, yes. these walls. But a lot of times it's going to be like, look, I got a high rocks. I'm doing 60 minute high rocks workouts six days a week because <laughs> I need to get better at high rocks or whatever. Yeah. Um, where, where, how, how could this fit? Like where, and how could you recommend someone kind of put this in or how does it work in, in, in like for your day to day to day to day training? Like how can, where does this kind of fit into training? I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So it fits in however it needs to fit in. But uh, I say that with regard to, you can have it as prep, right? As let me expand upon the places that I'm compressed that are limiting my athleticism. Uh-huh. You can have it take over your entire program structure to where I'm training these movements because I have these biases and I'm doing the opposite, right? Right. Um, so it, the simple answer is it can be a small kind of daily dose or it can be the whole kind of pillar and, and like, center point and focus of your programming. If you have that example of somebody who's got six days a week and they're high rocks focused, then it, it really is nuanced. It's like, well, where are you in this, mm-hmm. in this, um, when we go through this objective test in the first phase, right? Like basically how screwed up are you and how much emphasis do you need on this? If you don't need any, let's at least put in some drills that are going to offset the compression and the kind of, I don't want to say damage, but like, the bad stuff that we're going to do to the body in the workout. Let's offset it with some opening drills with some cool down stuff um, and let you go. If it's really bad, then let's shift the focus and we can kind of, um, we can, we can create a focus that is connected in both ways. So what I mean by that is you can pick exercises that are going just positional exercises, right? So I'm doing this for an example. Um, I'm, I'm hating how I'm responding to this, but hopefully this is clear on your end. Let's hear it. Okay. So like, I want to, I want to get better at wall balls. Right. Mm -hmm. And I need to like, I'm, I I get tired in my shoulders. I need some pressing action. Right. But I'm a narrow. And if I press straight up overhead, I'm going to arch my back. I'm going to create more lower compression. I'm, I'm going to just be kind of causing more problems than I am solutions. How can I practice this? while getting better at these pump handle up mechanics, which I'm not so good at, at getting the rib cage open and without getting low back compression, I want to kind of work on killing 10 birds with one stone, if you will. So landmine press, I'm going to press it out in front of me. Ribs are up and open. I'm training that, right? I'm also getting this shoulder pressing action. That's getting me stronger. I can even take it one step further and do a, a slightly offset stance with my feet so that I can keep my pelvis stable and not have to arch my back when it gets heavy. Hmm. Right. So I'm totally changing the program. Uh, you're not doing wall balls. You're not practicing the skill of wall balls, but you are getting better at pressing. And then we're layering in all these things to make you train different, right. Against what you're normally good at or get or away from your problems. 
That would take a lot of trust of this, right? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> be like, all right, we're going to get better at wall balls by not doing wall balls. Right. No, totally. So, <laughs> so that's what I mean. Like if you have somebody, I tried to answer two different questions with the same answer. It's not fair. If you have somebody that's training for high rocks and needs to practice wall balls, you got to put some wall balls in there. Right? For sure. Right. And if wall balls are going to compress you and make, you know, make problems for you, then we'll also want to provide you with some exercises. They're going to offset that. And, and I think that that this could be an issue that like hybrid athletes run into, right. Is that it is just because it is so objective and uh, we know the demands that we could just focus on just the demands yeah. instead of uh, working on pieces. Like you said, like a staggered stance landmine press, which could actually be beneficial so we can raise our ceiling on the actual movements themselves, as opposed to just like banging our heads against the wall, um, yes. trying to get better at wall balls or sled push or, or whatever that is. Yes. Um, so that's interesting. And that's what you've been doing. And you found it to be pretty helpful so far, huh? It's been amazing. I mean, that's, that's one simplified example, but with my, with my Achilles injury, it's, it's very clear now. And it always was, but now that I've done this and actually given myself the, the proof, so to speak, literally I've given myself the proof, uh, the Achilles injury happened because of a kind of rotational compensa- compensatory pattern that I've been living in for years. Right? Mm. Uh, it's pretty easy to, to blame rowing because it's single side pulling in a boat. Uh, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, but of course, any and every, we all kind of, we all kind of fall into the same compensations just because of the asymmetry of our, of our insides. Right. So everyone will sort of develop this left AIC, which is a term for like your left hip kind of going forward and your right shoulder will come across and your neck will turn. And so you get this kind of torsion in the system. And for a lot of people, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference. But if you go deeper and deeper into that compression, then it becomes problematic. So this little imbalance of like, you know, 60% force on the left and 40% force on the right then becomes a problem over time. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And that's uh, that's something that when I was reading about this briefly was something that was, was interesting to me is that like, yeah, you're going to have compensations in different areas because of where the, your organs are inside of your body, right? Like your heart, you only have one heart and it is on your left side. So like, so it's like not weighted appropriately or something like that. Right. Yeah. And and I think PRI attributes it primarily to the CRUA or the C-R-U-X cross CRUA. Um, And there's a, there's like a, I don't know if it's a ventricle or whatever. Once one is a much larger valve than the other. And so this kind of starts that, that turning pattern. (laughs) That's wild. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's something I wouldn't think it makes sense. Right? Yeah, like for sure. Something we can't feel or can't go about. And if it's everybody like knowing how to like, co- like uh, not compensate for it is, is a strange. It's, it doesn't seem intuitive to me. It's, it's definitely not intuitive, especially in the beginning. And this is what, again, I appreciate about getting the objective. Like let's test this to tell us this story. But I will say once you see it, you can't unsee it. So like I can walk around and tell you 90% of the people and, and, I could give you with pretty good certainty, like where they're lacking range of motion, what's going on with their body. I can't necessarily tell you what pain they're incurring or, uh, you know, feeling because pain's a, pain's a really multifactorial thing, but 
I could definitely tell you like, all right, that person's lacking external rotation. They're compressed here. They got shit shoulder mobility, whatever else. Right. Are you just doing that all day? Like at, at a high rock? <laughs> it's I, like narrow, narrow, <laughs> wide, wide, wide. Yeah. When I'm in the airport, I'm like, oof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and this is when you're talking, it, it, it made me think of like giving the power, the power lifter example, mm-hmm. right? It's that, um, like you can't, you, like you could spend time expanding, but really they have one goal here and it's to, to lift as much weight off the floor or off the squat rack as they can. So they need to be in this specific area for most of the time, but in this hybrid space, it, there is, I mean, it's endurance for sure. Right. But there's also a big time strength component as well. So it, it makes sense to have something like this to expand, like, like you've, like you've said to, to make sure that there is space to grow in other areas. So it seems to make a lot of sense in this, this particular area. Yeah. I definitely, I want to come back because I've now just received clarity on what I was saying earlier about the power lifter. It's not that expansion and getting them joint centered and opening up and, and like getting them more movement option is ever necessarily detrimental that is always that should always be prioritized it's detrimental to the degree of i'm a power lifter i compete in deadlift squat and bench press right and like overhead press or whatever it is those are my three things i don't want to i as a coach or i as an athlete if i were the power lifter i don't want to spend too much time not deadlifting and that's not squatting. it's the time component it's the time and it's the adaptation to whatever I'm doing, right? Like I still want to, if I'm programming for this person, I don't want them, for example, with the staggered stance press kind of thing, that's not going to be the majority of their training leading up to competition because they have to do what they're doing. There's a skill component, much like the wall ball analogy that we talked about earlier. And like, I'm not going to make someone not do wall balls because they need to open up, Mm -hmm. but I will absolutely. And I think most people would agree. I, I would absolutely want to prioritize getting some expansion pre those movements. So they have a better movement arc so that they move better. So how could people like, what would this, what would you expect to feel when going through this? Like, is it, uh, um, like, is it a, a lack of pain? Is it like an improved sense of movement and no mobility or like, yeah, because, is that is that typically what you you would think it would be like yeah and some of it's very subtle some of it's very subtle it's like i can't quite tell that there's a huge there's like sensational difference is not always there but that's again why we come back to these objective tests right like for you whatever mobility stuff you did before you were doing that that's like a a nervous system test i think with the toe touch Mm -hmm. right i don't Mm -hmm. i forget what that one was but i've seen that before it's like fingers to ground how far can they go just without like forcing it Mm-hmm. I think so. I'm not exactly sure if it would be considered nervous system, but I think it's a little bit like that because it's um, essentially trying to detect threats, which I guess would be nervous system. Yeah, for sure. Because it's not it wasn't hamstring test. No, hamstring it would be, exercise. It'd be like test. do like an, a movement in your neck and then see if you can touch your t- like see how that increases your range of motion. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's definitely CNS. That's, that's threat mm-hmm. detection. That's, you know, am I, am I locking up because my body's like, no, that's not cool. That's not safe. Or am I still safe? Am I good? Can I yes. touch as deep as I was? Exactly. Uh, same thing, right? It's like you in that test, I don't think that you necessarily felt, and I'm of course assuming, so tell me, but when you did that, you did the toe test, then you did whatever the, the movement was. 
and they do the toe test again. Did you feel sensationally different after the thing? No, it would be but like, did, but did something improve? It's, well, yeah, something definitely improved. And it would be like, if I would consistently do the things that <clears throat> would make that me improve in that. Yeah. Then that's when I would have, uh, I guess it would it be considered sensationally different if I was like, okay, this typically feels uncomfortable when I, when I stand up out of a chair, but when I do these mobility exercises for like a week, that, that sensation is gone type of thing. Yeah. That, that's more what it would feel like uh, for that example. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's basically the same thing, right? You're just doing this to prove that toe touch retest is to prove that it was in fact doing something for you. Same thing here with, with these expansion drills and whatever else that we're referring to is you're not going to necessarily always feel, oh yeah, this is much better. Sometimes you for sure will. And it'll be like, oh my gosh, mind blowing. Um, but that's why we have the tested retest because it's like, nope, objectively, this is making things better. So let's do it. Um, and, you know, you got you do have to have faith in that, that process. Much like someone told you to do three reps of 10 on an exercise. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> How the hell do you know that that's going to make you stronger and bigger? <laughs> these type of exercises and these type of uh, methodologies, I feel like, are the next frontier in performance, right? These 100%. are things that are not necessarily widely known or widely tested and, and, and people would rather do three sets of 10. A hundred percent. People still need to do three sets of 10. Sure. It's, it's, but I love that this is the new frontier. Um, and it definitely is right. Bodybuilding is like kind of in bodybuilding's great. And there are people who like absolutely love this, but that was really the, the pop. <laughs> yeah. It's like pop culture of fitness is bodybuilding. And now it's kind of shifting into, I think mechanics, functionality. <clears throat> this is, this goes into like people who don't even care about fitness and are just like, Oh, I'm old and I'm slouching and I'm doing this stuff and my joints hurt. Well, yeah, of course. Cause you've also been a victim of compression. You are managing gravity. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is more of like a, a well, like wellness, right. Is what you might yes. qualify this as for some people. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And like, look at us, like, do you do hot and cold therapy ever or like focus on your nutrition? Right. It's all wellness. For sure. For sure. That makes you a better athlete. Yeah. And that's, that's always the, like where I'm at and where where you're at as well. It's like, is this good for me? Will this make me a better athlete? (laughs) (laughs) Do I have time for it? (laughs) Right. Exactly. And that's, that's the part of this thing as well as where that kind of lines up. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, when would you, and, and like, I guess what, like, where, where is the science on this? Because that's one thing as practitioners, the, the evidence piece is always behind, mm-hmm. right? So, and it's mostly anecdotal, which I think is uh, as, as good as anything, right? And if you try it and it works for you, that's, that's all the evidence that you really need as opposed to being like, oh, evidence-based, whatever, like needing to see all these like studies here or there. Is, is there a science along with this? Is there like- With regard to fitness and like performance? <laughs> Um, yeah. Is there any of that? I wouldn't imagine there would be. I don't think there's any like studies on. No. We took 10 athletes and, you know, deployed PRI on them. I, I would say that I'm a case study. <laughs> to- totally. <laughs> um, no, but it, it, I think what you said earlier about like, yeah, you can tell. And that might be all the science that we need 
Um, it's pretty objective, right? I don't, it's pretty objective when you use, that's interesting. Now that I'm saying that out loud, it's a subjective reaction to an objective test, right? Mm -hmm. It's, yeah. So is there a point where you can like max this out? Where you're like, all right, I'm balanced. Um, no. And yes, I've, that's an interesting question. I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can max it out. Like I'm, I would imagine it's the same kind of deal as anything else where you can go too far in a direction and start going another direction. Hmm. Right. Um, <laughs> then you start needing to do that. You think, yes, you, think yes. that could, you think that could happen? You think someone could undo? Their... I think that'd be really tough. I think that'd be really tough. Undo it so much that they start going the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, that I, all I of a sudden know. they've like, their like extension and adduction is then their, their strength. Like basically they've flipped their bias to <laughs> yeah, the other yeah. side. I don't think so, but who knows? I don't think anyone's really tried it. Cause it's not, uh, you know, it's not a voluntary, um, movement where these, these compensations are, are coming from, right. It's breathing. Right. So you feel like you would always kind of revert back to what you naturally had at some point. Is that basically what, like what, how I would imagine you could probably get to a point where you might not be able to make a ton more of progress, but it would probably revert. Would it, would this revert pretty quickly back to if like you fall out of practice with these type of exercises and movements um, or how, like how long, oh, like would an adaptation like this last do you think? That's a good question. That's a really good question. I don't know the answer. I think the revert process depends upon what you're doing, the stimulus involved, right? So if you're somebody who's like super locked up, let's just keep it simple, high rocks athletes, right? You're somebody who's doing all these things and you're compressing a certain way and, and you're going into a kind of compensatory pattern and you work really hard to get out of that and you do, but then you train without any of those drills that you did or without any of those movements, you just go completely back into what you did previously, you'll probably head towards that again. Right. Mm -hmm. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, and I, that's where I sort of kind of ideate about or philosophize, if you will, on, I think a lot of exercise exercises that we've kind of learned and adapted and, and know as like the, the best things are actually kind of bad, <laughs> right? Like I think, I don't want to say bad, but I think that a lot of the ways that we try to develop our system go against how we're designed. There's less optimal. Less optimal. And I hate, I hate what's coming out of my mouth right now because I sound like <laughs> naughty Aguilar, but this is like, we're designed for gate mechanics, right? Mm -hmm. And if we do something like a, barbell bench press or a barbell deadlift and we like reverse our grip or whatever else we're like totally saying screw you to those mechanics right and that's okay because the body's an adaptation machine so we should and can do anything and everything but again if you're rooted in gate mechanics and then you move really far away from it in any direction you're going to end up with issues because that's your that's your center right and and like uh using the power lifter again in terms of wellness or health really like because they're just so strictly into those uh three movements of uh like they're probably not uh, healthier for it 
they're more prepared for their specific events. Yeah. But is that how they're, are we supposed to be able to squat 800 pounds? Like probably not. Right. And (laughs) this is where health and fitness are not, not tied together. Way different. Almost, almost opposed. Totally. They can be. Yeah, for sure. Um, I had something else with that. Um, yeah. So that, that, is that, is that a tough spot for, for you to be in, to be like, okay, like I, I want the wellness piece to be there, but I also want to run under 60 minutes in a high rocks <laughs> because yeah. like, that's the same thing, right? Like the amount of training that goes into it. I mean, even some, you look at someone like Dylan Scott, right? Like what he's doing is this, is that health? Like probably not. I, I, I go this, I push myself into those boundaries a lot of the times too, where it's like, I generally feel bad. <laughs> like, is this a, an appropriate way to live? It's like, Probably not the best. <laughs> yeah. So is that a struggle for you sometimes with this? I would say no, because I use the health to help the fitness, right? Mm-hmm. And I prioritize the fitness, but respect the health. So I, I don't know that I would, for me, it's not a problem. Like I, I would rather, I would rather wear out my body than rust out the body. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> I'd rather overuse than underuse. And like, I, I love, I, I love the sport of fitness, right? Like whatever that means to anyone, higher ups, DECA, CrossFit, I love it. Um, so I will kind of prioritize that in my, in my thirties rather than like really focusing on like how healthy can I be, how perfect can all these things be. As long as you're like looking at, but like you have both in your vision, it's not, it's easy to be like, this is like fitness is health and just, going so far in in that direction that you do kind of lose sight of it so yeah. as long as you're having both in, in your sight seems like it should be fine yeah i mean look all of us have lost sight of it to a degree we're <laughs> right we're all we're all endurance athletes trying to run you know sub six minute mile pace for an hour thrown in with <laughs> all these strength events like that's not that's not health no certainly not that's sport yeah um all right, I got a selfish question. Please. Thora- thoracic mobility. Yeah. What do you got yeah. for it? What, 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 what do I got to do? I'm, I've, from what I've taken, I'm probably narrow. Yeah. Um, I would assume, yes. Just as, just based off of, yeah, that, like being, like I've been good at endurance, like just be- because almost. Um, yeah. And then, and like a lot of the pain pieces, like mid, mid back thoracic is where I'll get a lot of the, the achy parts overhead squats if i'm not doing them every day like it goes away completely i haven't i haven't tried to do one of those do you still do overhead squats no no (laughs) no definitely not i'm thinking about i'm like "Mm," and like the opens coming around i'm like should i try to like (laughs) is this something i want to do it's like i don't think so yeah um so what would someone who is would you recommend for someone who is like you know going to be on, on the narrow side of things who has like thoracic issues. Yeah. Okay. So I think that the easiest thing to blanket this, right. Cause I'm talking about all these nuanced things and objective tests and we can't get into that at this moment, although I'd love to, but everybody is kind of, again, let me preface. This is a blanket statement. Okay. So don't like hold me to gunpoint on Got this it. statement, but everybody's kind of pushed forward. Right? Everybody kind of has this ten- tendency to manage gravity and fall forward. And this sort of puts the brakes 
on posterior muscles to keep us from falling on our faces, right? And everyone's forward position is going to look a little different. The common one that we all like to blame the computer and the phone for is like this rounded mm-hmm. neck forward posture. But this is kind of like a, a classic narrow compensation, which is flexion, right? And then we're compensating here to just stay upright in the face, yep. right? Um, that would be poor thoracic extension. Um, and we have to remember that ribcage and hips, it's one system. So yes, we want to dissociate ribcage from hips, but hips are kind of playing a large role in what the ribs do, right? So if you're losing the ability to thoracically extend, well, there's probably compression in the low back that's keeping you, like we talked about earlier, if I pull down here, I'm tied up here, Mm -hmm. there's compression in the low back that's keeping you from that, right? Hmm. So with the blanket statement again, Let's just, let's just accept that this is, this is a blanket statement, right? This doesn't apply to everyone, but it applies to a lot of people. A lot of people have an overactive rectus abdominis, six-pack muscles that are crunching them down, and they are dumped forward in their pelvis. almost grabbed my pelvic bottle. Things waiting to come out. <laughs> They're dumped forward in their pelvis, right? Uh-huh. And what I usually start with, with the majority of people, and what most of us should start with, is getting our pelvis to be pulled back, right? It's compressed in the mid back. I'm going to use this. Bring it out. <laughs> All right. So pelvic model, right? This is, this thing is wonky. I've been messing with it a lot. If we think about sacrum, right? This guy, this guy here, this guy here. If we have low back compression, right? We are going to dump our hips forward into anterior tilt, you think uh-huh. about like a sexy butt sticking your butt out. Okay. Right? So we've got this compression here. It's pulling us into that. We're losing a bunch of relative motions, which are like the intricate little nuanced pieces moving bone on bone. Right. And it's forcing us to move globally this whole thing as one unit rather than individual components. Okay. That means we're also forcing the spine to do more stuff, right? Because these things aren't moving the way that they're supposed to. So if we're anteriorly, anteriorly tipped, we're, we're falling forward in the pelvis, yep. then we're also going to compensate with the ribs by opening up. And that's where if you can imagine, this is where this space, the low back is tight. Yep. It's pulling the ribs open down and back and it's pulling the pelvis forward. Right. And that's very common. And it's typically associated with, rectus abdominis being kind of like facilitated on and then our hamstrings and internal obliques are kind of out to lunch. And so we'll start by pulling people back in space, so to speak. Remember we're falling forward. Those are the muscles that kind of put on the brakes to keep us from falling on our faces. We'll teach the body to turn on the hamstrings and the internal oblique to bring the pelvis back into its neutral position. Hmm. And by just doing that alone, we've gotten rid of this tension and tightness, the compression in the low back. We've opened up movement option, thoracic extension, up up the chain, upstream, right? So what would be an example of turning on the hamstrings? Yeah. So hook-lying hamstring bridge is like the simplest and most effective exercise I've seen with a lot of people. You get down on your back, lie down on your back 
you plant your feet like you're going to do a glute bridge, mm-hmm. right? And then you're essentially very, everything is subtle, right? There's a lot of nuance to this and I'm, I've never explained it to someone without showing them, but I'll do it now. You are very gently kind of pulling back with your feet and thinking about kind of tucking your pelvis or hooking your pelvis underneath you. So posterior tilt is grandpa butt, anterior tilt is sexy butt, Instagram butt. So we're getting kind of a little bit of that grandpa butt kind of action going on, right? And we're just trying to get the hamstrings to hook us. Our low back is often relaxed because we're lying on the floor. And then from there, the big thing that we're trying to manage is not turning on the six pack muscles and then getting the internal oblique to turn on with that hamstring engagement. And now Hmm. this is where we come back to the beginning of inhalation, exhalation. When you exhale all your air out, your internal obliques gonna kick on. And so this is a drill where we really prioritize what I said to you earlier, the breathing. And it's kind of any version of either fogging a mirror, blowing out through a, a balloon or a straw, and letting, and I'm, I'm crunching down, that's not what we're supposed to do, but letting that exhalation, full exhalation, kind of turn on the internal oblique, and then slowly in through the nose, relaxed inhalation and you're staying in this position right this hooked hamstring bridge it's not a glute bridge it's like a hooking hamstring Uh sensation you're staying in that and basically just focusing on your breathing right and just focusing on that exhalation inhalation long slow and this is a perfect example of what i said about like sensationally are you going to notice anything not unless you were in a really bad spot to begin with. And that does happen, right? I have people who I'm like, lie down on the floor and they're like, yeah, I'm asking him to check in. They're like, this doesn't feel good on my low back because there's so much compression lying <laughs> yeah, on the geez. floor. <laughs> you say, yeah, geez. But like, I know professional cross, CrossFit athletes who are in this. And I'm like, bro, <laughs> come on. So something's it, wrong. Dude. Yeah. No judgment, right? Like I, yeah. I, I, I care about this so much because I've been in all of these places. For sure. Uh, but it's like, that's an obvious marker for we need to we need to change something. And then you go through this breathing drill and you can, that's one, that's one telling point. That's one proving point. It's like, okay, we've done the breathing drill for five to 10 inhalation, exhalation cycles. Then you lie back down flat. It's like, oh, my back doesn't hurt anymore at all. Um, or we could retest, you know, femoral hip flexion and extension and that mm. improves. And then mm. there's your objective answer for, oh, that's improved. So, okay, selfish, um, I don't mean to steam earlier because I know your wheels are turning, but your selfish question about improving your thoracic mobility. Well, I can almost guarantee you that that's, if that's the case for you, that's going to also improve your hip extension, right? The ability for your femur to go behind you, which if you improve your hip extension, you improve your running, you mm-hmm. improve your everything. <laughs> Sled push. <clears throat> totally, right? Totally. <laughs> And you reduce the amount of effort that that low back has to take on. Hmm. Essentially, you you involve more players on the field. Right. I like to tell everybody, like, you're not going to win a football game with the best quarterback in the world and, like, a shitty offensive line. Right? You need all those people. Sorry, I didn't even ask you if I could swear on here. <laughs> you can. You're good to go. Cool. <clears throat> um, yeah, this makes sense. I, I really I, I like I like that. I, def- I definitely got the IG butt too. So I got to get more. Fat. I got to get more grandpa butt. Um, that was great. Can we do one more? Please, all day long. Um, so I guess I, I will just take. I was my other one. 
I'm thoracic, but then because you're thinking the opposite, I was thinking like lumbar, um, or if there's there anything else that you see common, like what's another thing that's a common pain point for people or something that you see, um, or you could just do lumbar, I guess. What do you mean? Like, uh, people have like, lumbar issues. Yeah. Like someone has like low back pain. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a, that's a very common one. And it's just, again, that kind of that low back compression, right. It's going so deep into that compressive strategy that it's things are running out of room and the body's saying, Hey, we're, <laughs> we're stuck. Help us out. Okay. So let's do one. That's the opposite, right? The one that's more of a, uh, an, an expansion issue, right? They're too expanded. Uh, I guess no, because I'm thinking that my thoracic is because I'm narrow rib cage. Sure. Someone has like a wider rib cage. Um, what would potentially be an area that they have like pain or compensation or something? Or uh, yeah, yeah, that's great. Okay, cool. So yes, commonly narrows will have this kind of thoracic extension inability, right? They're, they're kind of in this, they kind of flex down. Uh, y would be the opposite. They're kind of pushed forward in their upper back, their chests are up, right? And they typically experience, if, if we're looking at like, where's my pain point, my literal pain point, a lot of them will actually have issues in the mid upper back, okay. right? Because they're so compressed up there and pushed <laughs> forward, right? And so something for them is to kind of restore their ability to expand posteriorly, to move air into that that upper back and get mm-hmm. and get those back muscles to eccentrically orient uh in layman's terms they're kind of stuck in that shortened fiber state we need to teach those muscles how to open up and give them the space to mm-hmm. um, and that comes from the rib cage so again what i said about the rolling drills would be another thing to help them open that up um i should say without getting so rolling drills right like a lot of different exercises if you've seen like a kettlebell arm bar Mm-hmm. You're holding a kettlebell, you're on your you're lying on your back, you roll up to your side. Like these are rolling drills. And as silly as it seems, you're literally influencing gravity and kind of crushing your ribs in laterally, right? You've got weight above you, you've got the floor against you. You're now compressing left to right, which is forcing expansion to go front to back. Hmm. So for a Y, mm-hmm. they want this, right? And a lot of narrows will want this too, because we're compressed front to back as well. We're not, you know. We don't get a pass on that just because we're narrows. Um, this will help open up the rib cage, right? This even goes into, I'll come up. Let me come back. Remind me to come back to this. Cause this will, I want to talk about how this actually influences breathing too, and getting more air in and out. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> I guess actually that's pretty much all I want to say is like you expand your rib cage options and you bring more, there's more volume in there to play with for sure. Bigger breath, bigger, you know, more air in and out. Um, when I said earlier, like people are falling and managing gravity, right? A great thing for us to do is also to kind of teach our body how to move back in space. And the hips influence the ribs, right? The gait cycle is our starting point for everything. You can influence the hips through the feet and the hips influence the feet, right? It's like a, it's a two-way thing. So if we can bias the if you're falling forward you're in late stance mechanics i don't want to get into a new thing here but if you think about my fingers as my toes like when you push off your toes that's the very end of the gait cycle it's heel midfoot toe so it's early mid late mechanics of the foot right if you're constantly falling forward 
you're probably also constantly your toes. You've got a gripping strategy. That's why people's toes look like this often, right? They're kind of cramped up and there's a lot of compression in that forefoot. And that's also creating rigidity here, which is creating poor ankle mobility as well. Hmm. So if we can get people to train more in that mid foot bias, then we can open up some pronation of the foot because we restore It's not so taut and stuck in the front. We open up, we loosen up the foot, which opens up the ankle, which opens up the hip. Right. Um, and also just teaching the brain how to move back in space. Yeah. All of that to say, I do a lot of goblet cyclist squats. So I use a ramp. I stand on a ramp. So my heel is elevated. My foot is flat. This is a big thing because I'm not trying to go like if you just use a plate and you put your heel on it, your toes are cranked into kind of late stance. It's a little funky. So you want a full foot on there and I will hold a kettlebell. I'll stay perfectly upright, exhale halfway down, inhale to full depth, exhale on the way up. And what I'm doing in this movement is moving my body back in space. I'm restoring some of the mobility in my foot because I'm not constantly compressing it. I'm teaching my brain how to associate weight in the back of my stance. Hmm. Right. And then offsetting the load here, I'm also creating more front to back expansion for my body. So all of that to say, if everybody starts implementing that goblet squat in their prep, they will get better. Hmm. At, they will create less of these <clears throat> compensatory things. And if they don't need it, like we asked earlier, you're like, can you go too far into this? Whatever. You're just going to get good at. They know, needed some squats to warm up. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're, you're better off. Yes. Huh. That's really interesting. And that makes total sense, right? Especially that part, like. That's it's a that's a really clever drill, like with a counterbalance, and but you're 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 still allowing your body to move in an, into a space that like might be like a dark space that it would typically not be able to to, to access. Yeah, right? so you can still kind of go through it. That is a re- that's a really clever one, <clears throat> and that would just be like uh, you, said, you mentioned a ramp, like yep. you would just need something like a specialized ramp or, or something like that, right? Yeah, you could even set up plates. Like yeah. a, a fat 45 pound plate and a 25 pound plate and stand on the plate. Oh yeah. I see. Right. For sure. But there are images at most gyms or you can buy them on, on uh, online. There's these awesome ones called full laps. I use them. I bring them to high rocks and I prep like that. And people are like, what the hell is this? Guy? <laughs> 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 um, cool, man. This is, this was great. I think that, that that's really helpful. I, I really like those examples at the end and just like figure it and like learning. <clears throat> Cause a, a lot of that, to me, especially when you're talking about what you said, like the hook, hook, uh, hook, line, hamstring, hook, bridge. line, hamstring. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I'm not allowed to call it anything else because it's a PR, I think. Oh, that's actually what it is. It's yeah. Like, trademarked. Um, <clears throat> but like that is basically is like, yeah, t- like how I could imagine it is really focusing on areas that might not typically get pulled into your movement, right? It's like, and, and like forcing it to happen like the in like the inner oblique part i was like man I, that does, that doesn't sound like anything i've ever used in my life <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not necessarily something that you're gonna like activate mentally right like we do have to bias some of these things that's why you focus on the inhalation and not sensation of like oh yeah i feel my internal oblique eh, right no. right it's not gonna be like now flex that area or right. like, like no so that's and that right. could be it just makes sense from that perspective um so i really appreciate that man it's, it's been really fun chatting so you have a do you have you have like an online course you do online coaching or, or yeah. how can people get a hold of you yeah absolutely uh 
I think the best way to get a hold of me is just my Instagram, uh, Gunther. It's literally my name at yep. Gunther Klaus. Um, but yes, I've got online programs. I'm kind of developing a program right now where I can get people to understand with either my help or on their own, like where they are in terms of, are you a wide, are you a narrow? And then have some programs that are designed for those compensations like we discussed. Right. Um, so even if it's like a high rock specific training program, it's like, okay, high rock specifics, but I've changed some things for wides. I've changed some things for narrows. Um, and then of course I do all sorts of one-on-one coaching and, and all that jazz. Regular fitness stuff too. Regular. Oh, totally. I mean, I'm rooted in the, in the general physical fitness stuff, right? I'm a personal trainer. Yeah. For years, that's kind of my bread and butter. Um, well, cool, man. This, that's super helpful. Make sure to link to your Instagram and the show notes and everything like that. Yeah, I appreciate uh, it. What race do you have next? So I'm doing my first DECA fit. Nice. Yeah. Where in at? Austin. I live Austin. in Austin. Then it's, it's here. Oh, that's right. It's actually, it's like the same weekend. Same weekend as uh, Chicago, right? Thank God. Because <laughs> all you guys are going to be in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see who, who shows out something like that. But uh, Are you going to Chicago? I'm like on the fence about getting into that uh, that Elite 15 heat. Oh. Um, yeah, because they opened it up to the world, right? So everybody in that who had a... <clears throat> the fastest times in the world are or they get first dibs for it. Yeah. And I only had that one race in LA and it was like, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> you say, okay. Yeah. But I mean, like that, those dudes in Frankfurt the same day ran, like there was like eight dudes under 60. Yeah. Can, can I ask you about this? Yeah. Just, just selfishly. I'm dying to ask you questions about this. Uh, yeah, of course. So do you, two things, do you think one that courses are different in terms of like, like you and Ryan, I kind of have like two options here or thoughts. Uh, you and Ryan ran 101 something right that day. Uh, I was like 102 something. Ryan was 101 something. Okay. But you guys are sub 60 athletes. Like you have done that. I'm right at 60. Kent's, yeah, Kent's like 57 something. Okay. But two minutes is a big difference. Do you think that courses are different enough to have that be the thing? Like if you had raced those guys in Germany, that it would have been closer? Or do you think that... Or do you think something else? Because I have thoughts as well. Yeah, I mean, Kent and I we were not weren't on our best days for sure, prepping just for Deca. Uh, that's that's what I was wondering. And and like we only had like a like a two weeks, I think, between Deca Worlds and Hyrox. And I know him and I, we need neither of us did too much Hyrox. I didn't do any Hyrox specific training. I mean, it's in the, it's in the same family, right? It's not that different, mm-hmm. but the volume and the distance of the race is 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 much different. So I wasn't prepared for that, but no, these courses are a mess. They're, yeah. <laughs> they are just like uh, the, the dude who won Frankfurt. He, he did like three and a half minutes slower, like the week before. Interesting. At a different course, at a different course. Oh, and if you even look at his splits, <clears throat> like he's, he's going to get an invite. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's top, top, top time in the world. He, uh, oh, nice. He's good. He, his name's Thiago Lucy. He got third at the world championships in 20, uh, 21, but then when you say did, third, is that for the elite 15 or was that a new thing? That was like the first year or was it, it was the year Hunter went over, but got fourth. Do you remember that? Um, I wasn't involved in this world, at yeah, all, but, so, I, but I've heard about it. So 2020, they did like an invite only 
And it was really small. It was during, it was like right, it was right in the middle of COVID and they were able to get people into Germany and did it in 2021. They just kind of had an open invite for people to come to the world championships. Okay. And this dude ends up third. So yeah, it would be like the same as getting there at the elite 15. So he's good. Yeah. But like his wall balls at the end of this thing were like four forty-five, And it's like, it's not very fast. It's not very fast. And you do yeah. like, 50, like, and that's not like one, it's one station, but like, if you're that fit, like you're not, Dying on the wall balls. No, you're not yeah. doing four yeah. Interesting. So they need to get a grip on the courses a little bit or change yeah. or change the qualification standards. So then for you, you're you're debating going because this could be an opportunity for you to qualify or so I wouldn't be able to race in uh, an elite race in Chicago. They're only doing one elite heat and it's just for the 15. Guys that have already secured the top 15 spots. Yes. So I was in the world. So it's, it's not just America. It's not just America. I need a roll down and it's, it's looking like I'll probably will get the roll down. Cause it's most I'm fifth in the U S with my time and the rest are all European times. And it's like, I'm 30 something outside uh, in the world because of these, uh, how many races the Europeans have Frankfurters. And, and, and they, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and these courses are fast. Yeah. Okay. And so you're saying roll down as in like, somebody says I'm not coming and you're like, Oh, okay. Rich has the invite now. Yeah. So that should, we should know that in the next, like hopefully next week or so. Nice. And are you, I assume you're trying to qualify for elite 15 for world championships. Yeah. So top three times. When will you go again? So I'm, I'm probably going to, I might do all of the races there that are in the U S it's like, there's like, there's only three. It's Houston. Dallas and then Anna. another Dallas. Another Are you gonna, will you do Dallas? I might, but honestly, I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm in that camp. I'm like, unless I all of a sudden make this six minute gap jump <laughs> because I've been able to run. Right. Then I really am just trying to get as good as I can for a world championship. Yeah. But, um, that was my, my, my last question, uh, on that topic was do the people who compete in the regular world championship, is there money for that? Or is it only for elite 15? Just for elite 15. Yeah. I, I want to be in the elite 15 just because that just sounds freaking awesome yeah. <laughs> to be able to run against you guys. And yeah, that is the goal for me. I, and I, wh- whether it's naive or not, I mean, it's not necessarily that it's going to be this year, but that is, I want to be up there and I think I can be up there. Well, totally. I mean, how much time you've taken off already and yeah. uh, you were what six or seventh in LA. Oh, LA was terrible. I mean, yeah. From a, from like a, where I finished I, I care more about like the time. It was pretty stacked field though. Like, uh, Oh yeah. It was you two. It was, uh, like you, you beat a couple of good dudes too. Like Vic, you beat Victor. Um, a couple of like that dude, Anas is really good, but he, I don't know if he had a very good day. Um, yeah. So you, you, you were in front of a couple of good guys for sure. Yeah. I think the only thing that I'm holding as like hope is, is the fact that now I'm running and I've only been running for two months. So give yeah. me another five. For sure. Make a big difference. And it's good just to get reps. Like if, if Dallas is close enough, it's how it much, what, yeah. what's the drive? It's three hours. Houston's like an hour and a half, but I've got, I've got tons of friends in Dallas, so I could easily go do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like getting more reps, yeah. like, and, and figuring some stuff out, figuring out yeah. where, where to point the training. For sure. I'd love to, I'd love it. If you went to Dallas, I'd love to see you again in person and even get in your heat. That'd be so cool. <laughs> yeah, you should. You definitely should this time too. Just put, just say your time's going to be 60 something and, and the thing <laughs> in the heat. It was helpful to, to be on course with you two. Uh, cause you guys were, you know, I, I was in the last heat. So I was like, 
Amazon like round three when you guys are heading into friggin' wall balls. But, oh, uh, so you probably saw us at our worst. You pr- were you passing us? No, I wasn't. And that's the best thing. Is, like, <laughs> running is my weakness, right? So like I'm on the track with you guys running and I'm like, oh, they're almost done and they're holding this pace. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I'm not there. <laughs> that was, that was brutal. It was rough, man. Yeah. <laughs> High rocks is just hard. It's hard. It's just it's totally hard. hard. I love it though. I love it so much. It's going to be a cool challenge. I'm interested to hear what you think about DECA because it is, uh, it's definitely, it's different, right? It, it, it hurts really bad, but in a different way. Yeah. I did DECA strong. Mm. How'd that go? Cause I couldn't run, but I could mm. do everything else. It went okay. It hurt. <laughs> it hurt bad. I did 1240 something, 1245. Nice. It was okay. Um, I, I think I did as well as I could have, but now I'm kind of like, ah, oh, can I like running is my weakness. So with DECA fit, can I maintain that level of intensity? And like in high rocks, I can survive the runs. Like literally it's like survival running, right? Mm-hmm. I can, I can drag my ass through the course and do okay. Do a one Oh six. But I, I, I assume that in DECA fit, I've got to move my ass on those runs. Yeah. Just be careful. <laughs> like the first, like <laughs> the first three or four are, 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 more, are more of a trap. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's always how it goes. Right. It's interesting when like you see what people's like, um, what their 5k would be versus their aggregate aggregate 5k and what their deck is strong would be versus their aggregate deck strong and like a deck of fit. Mm-hmm. The, the athletes, <clears throat> it doesn't change that much. Kent's is out almost like the same. His deck is strong has his deck is strong during a deck of fit has been faster than his actual deck of strong. Like he can recover. And he's, oh. and he's the world champ at Decca Strong. He recovers through his runs, you're saying? Yeah. So he can, so he can actually that's recover really and then come in and hit the stations harder. Yeah, that's so frustrating because I am not that. <laughs> I mean, you might be able to a little bit, like if you don't, if you don't go crazy on the runs. I mean, 1240 is really good for, for first time doing it. Not, yeah, thank you. Not to limit myself, but going back into like archetypes of people, there's also structural like ribcage, not just the shape of wide and narrow, but also like sizes. And then how that plays with like tendon response and I'm not made for this stuff. So like the springy Mm. low ground contact time is not my strong suit. Mine is Mm. like absorbing force, long ground contact time. So running for me is really that jacks my heart rate up. Uh, I say crazy. (laughs) I say, you know, too much. (laughs) It's limiting. You got to forget that. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. Uh, cool. Got the man. Well, this is super fun. Um, again, I'll link to your social and then, yeah, we'll, I appreciate uh, it, man. I'll be seeing you out in the course soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again so much for your time. I appreciate it.